0: The reading today is um, Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8 to chapter 3, verse 5. It's on page 681 of these maroon Bibles. She, listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise! Come, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. He. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. She. My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. "'Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, "'turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle "'or like a young stag on the rugged hills. "'All night long on my bed, "'I looked for the one my heart loves. "'I looked for him, but I did not find him. "'I will get up now and go out about in the city, "'through its streets and squares. "'I will search for the one my heart loves. "'So I looked for him, but I did not find him. "'The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city.' Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them. When I found the one my heart loves, I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him into my mother's house to the room of the, of the one who conceived me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. I'm just going to pray before Johnny comes up. Father God, we... Thank you for your word and we pray now for us as a church as we um, receive it and hear it and as Johnny preaches it. We pray, please, that by your spirit you'd work in our hearts to understand it and to love it and to change us. We pray that we'd see your great love for us and that we would in turn um, love others and each other more. We pray for Johnny and we pray um, for his words and for his trust in you as he comes and um, preaches to us now. Amen.
1: I don't know if it was deliberate, Johnny, asking Joanna to, to do that. It felt almost a little bit close to the bone, didn't it? I feel like I need to respond somehow. <laughs> hey, everyone. Nice to see you. Um, I'm Johnny. We're, we're currently in the middle of this, of this sermon series we started a couple of weeks ago uh, in the Song of Songs. It's, it's this kind of beautiful... A celebration of relationships and intimacy with a with spouse um, or with one another in God's relational world. And, and for today's passage, I just really want to start by asking you uh, one question. So in your head, in your mind's eye, I want you to name the best relationship you have had with another person, the best relationship that you've had with another person, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. It could be a friend. It could be a parent. It obviously could be a, a spouse. Maybe should be so, so. Someone who is who is still the closest person in, to you in your life, or indeed someone who no longer occupies that space. And now, once you've got that person in your mind's eye, let me ask you this: How would you sum up your relationship, your experience, your intimacy with that person in one word? One word. That's that's all you've got. One word. Well, of course you can't. It's 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 impossible to do that because all relationships, even the best ones, in, indeed especially the best ones, are complex. All intimacy involves both the wildest ecstasies and the deepest agonies. Indeed, I would guess that the person who came to mind a minute ago in your head did so, not in spite of having real low points in your relationship, but because of them. True and healthy intimacy grows not only by enjoying life's highs together, but by weathering life's storms together, either within the relationship or outside of it. And up until this point in the Song of Songs, essentially we've only encountered the couple's relational highs. It's all been professing love and, you know, all the rest of it. But today, this growing love relationship, which is moving towards marriage at this point, when it starts to mature, vulnerability, frustration, and longing start to creep in. And as we, as we think about this, remember what, what Johnny said a few weeks ago when we started the Song of Songs together. We, you know, while, while the Song of Songs is a collection of poems about human intimacy and relationships, it points to a far greater love story, the perfect love story of how God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to unite himself to us, his bride. So, so, so that means that the Song of Songs is, yes, at one level, true of human relationship, but, but finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus' relationship to his bride, to his church, to you and to me. And so we're going to see through our more bumpy passage today, that, that just as in any intimate human relationship, any intimate relationship with Jesus is complex. Life with Jesus is full of the wildest ecstasies and the deepest sorrows and everything in between. There is deep contentment and unshakable frustrations. There's soul-satisfying answers and unanswered questions. But above all, we're going to see, what we're going to see is this. That through the highs and lows of our relationship to Jesus, he is faithful and he is holding us until we see him face to face. And for, for the note takers among you, essentially I've split this passage into two. And, and first, we're going to see Jesus as our passionate pursuer. And secondly, as our loyal Lover. So he's our passionate pursuer and our loyal lover. So let's start in chapter 2 verses 8 to the end of the chapter. Um, i have it on the screen um, where we'll see Jesus as our passionate pursuer. And so the the poem really starts in 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 verse eight with with the woman standing at her bedroom window. Did you see that, like proper like Romeo and Juliet style? And she looks out of her window, and in the distance she sees her lover, who verse one is leaping across the mountains. He, he he's bounding over the hills, like desperate to see her. He is pursuing her, isn't he? Expending every bit of energy that he has on seeing her. Any moment without her is a moment lost. And the beautiful thing here is that the love is mutual. In verse nine, she calls him her beloved, like this gazelle, young stag. But unlike that kind of classic airport scene, like loads of films, isn't it? Love Actually, I don't know. You could name others where, you know, you've got these estranged lovers running together and they like unite in each other's arms. They swing each other around. They're, actually, that's not what happens here. There's a barrier in between them. Verse nine, this young man has to stand behind the wall to his lover's family home and gaze at her through her window while she stands there. The, the willingness of The woman to stay behind the window shows that somehow there's a slight vulnerability there. There's a slight reticence. Of course, she does love him, but perhaps she fears giving her heart away too soon. As in verse 2 of chapter 2, sorry, verse 7 of chapter 2 that we saw last week, perhaps she's actually putting in a wise safeguard to not arouse sexual desire before the good and godly time. We, we, We can't be sure. But the guy certainly needs to pursue her heart passionately, inviting her to come down. So so from verse 10, the woman tells us what he says to her. He says, arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. The young man kind of uses the turning of the seasons from winter into springtime to describe a period of waiting that is now over. Their their love is ready to blossom in spring, to move forward, to take the next step forward. Come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me beckons this passionate pursuer, but he's got more work to do. In verse 14, he describes her like a dove hiding away in the clefts of a mountainside. Please, my love, show me your face. Show me your lovely face. Let me hear your sweet voice. In verse 15, he he refers to these foxes that could ruin their blossoming vineyard. And this vineyard is a word picture to be up front of their sexuality. It's blossoming. They are physically mature and now relationally ready to bear fruit. The relationship is ready to be consummated in sex in the context of marriage. And so do you see what's happening here? This, this, this passionate lover isn't just asking, I'll come down, my love. Let's go for a stroll. It's not that at all. He's asking her to marry him. And we'll see the wedding next week. But for now, in verse 16, she looks down from her window and gives a resounding, yes, my beloved is mine and I am his. Let's get married, she says. But like when many Christians get engaged and their relationship is moved to a marriage commitment, the initial excitement is followed by an emotional and, and sexual frustration that the wedding day hasn't arrived yet. There's a kind of nowness to the commitment. Our relationship is there. We, can, we should get married. That is a good thing. There's a now, but there's also a not yetness, a frustration as they wait months, weeks, years, whatever, until their wedding day. Well, brothers and sisters, there's loads and loads to say here about our human relationships, both romantic and otherwise. But but above all, remember, Jesus says, like in, in Luke 24, that the whole of the Old Testament, including this passage, points to him. And So let me be really, really frank. The passionate pursuer... Is Jesus Christ pursuing you, his beloved? I grew up hearing that Jesus loves me, and do you know I had no idea what that meant until one day I took hold of this truth: that Jesus' love for me means that He is ardently pursuing me, desperate, like this young man seeking to unite himself to me. Well, surely not, we think. You know, I'm too compromised or I'm too sinful or I'm too normal to be of any interest to Jesus, let alone be his beloved. But no, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, down into the valley where he was crucified to wash us clean. Look in the distance, here he comes bounding over the high hills after being raised from the dead, offering new life to us all. The waiting is over. The winter is past. The rains have gone. The flowers bud. The season of singing has come. Salvation is here. For the lover of our souls this morning has arrived on our doorstep. And he's beckoning us to him. Come, my darling, my beautiful one, he says to you this morning. You're no longer stained with sin. Your face is lovely to me. Your voice is sweet. And maybe some of you are hearing that invitation for the first time or kind of couched in that language for the first time. And my question to you really would be, what are the, the walls or the windows or the lattices there that are kind of preventing you from coming to him? You know, what are the, the foxes which threaten to ruin this intimate relationship with the passionate pursuer of your soul? There could be so many things, but Jesus says, come on down, please come to me, my darling." Brothers others of us, we will know well the experience of the woman behind the window. You know, we, we do love Jesus, but we feel vulnerable. Does he really love me? Can I really throw my lot in with him? When he finds out what I'm really like, will he leave me? Will he desert me? It's a reticence. It's just a kind of holding back. So we step into a relationship with Christ. We say, yep, I'm in. But we hold parts of ourselves back, perhaps being slow to come to him in prayer or thinking he's not listening or or whatever it might be. We love him, but we remain behind the window. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, he says, for now we see Christ as a reflection through a window, but then, that is, at the final consummation, the new creation, our wedding day with him, we will see him face to face and know him fully even as we, or I, am fully known. See, God's word describes our relationship with Christ now, as in in this world, like a betrothal to him. That's a kind of even stronger sense than an engagement that we have in our culture. But Christ has committed to love us and be with us eternally. And yet the wedding day, the, the day when he brings us into his new world and all of his people, well, it just hasn't come yet. And so while we have this assurance, our time on earth with Jesus is still fought with that kind of sense of vulnerability that we bring, that anxiety, that uncertainty. It's complex. But on that day when we see Christ face to face, what has always been true, even as I am fully known, says Paul, Well, we will see no longer through a window, but as clear as Day. Therefore, today, Christ says to us, Arise, come, my darling, come with me. What is true then is also true now of you. You are loved. Look at the nails on my hands and my feet where I died for you. There is nothing left for you to fear. You're safe. I love you. Come. And indeed, it's only when we grasp that Jesus has passionately pursued our souls and is still doing so today that we become passionate pursuers of other people husbands do you passionately pursue your wife with every last drop of energy crossing the proverbial hills of life to listen to her words to see her face and to care for her heart wives do you do the same whether married or single if this is what passionate if this passionate pursuit of others is what life is what love looks like. Does this kind of love characterize your friendships and church relationships? Do you passionately pursue other people or do you wait for your needs to first be met before you give yourself to them? You see, only when you grasp that today Christ is passionately pursuing your soul will you or even can you lovingly pursue other people? So that's the first point. Christ is our. Passionate pursuer. Second, Christ is our loyal lover, which is the first five verses of, of chapter three. Although before we get there, in verse 17, um, we see the frustrated fiancés part ways, right? They're not at the, at the wedding day yet. They, they, they part ways until, quote, the day breaks. Until that day, turn, my lover, and go. So, and, so, so she's picturing here the, the daytime being when they're married. And so if, if then is the day, then we can only assume that at this point in the engagement story that we're in the night time, right? That's the metaphor she's using. And indeed, in verse one of chapter three, that's exactly what we see. We cut to this scene of the woman alone on her bed at night having a pretty scary dream. Now, I'm not much of a, a dreamer. My wife is, those of us who experience vivid dreams regularly know that very often both our subconscious fears but also our kind of unmet desires are kind of brought out by dreams, aren't they? And this is exactly what happens in this young woman's dream as she waits for her wedding day in these first five verses. She waits for the consummation of that passion and that love. And so the dream starts with her feeling as though her lover has deserted her. There's the vulnerability. Where's he gone? Twice in verse 1, she says, I looked for him, but she can't find him. So in verse 2, she goes out into the city of Jerusalem at night. Something that would be absolutely unimaginable for an unaccompanied woman at this time. She is risking her welfare because she's so desperate to find him. And verse 3, she bumps into the city watchmen who were doing their rounds. I've got no idea what that is, but they're doing something. And and, and she bumps into them and, and, and she says, have you seen the one my heart loves? Can you hear the desperation in her voice? But before they can even kind of get a word out... All of a sudden, in verse 4, Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. Her lover is just kind of there. He's not like, oh, oh, there he is over there. It's just like, she, he's, just, he's just there. He'd been there all along. It's the kind of thing that only happens in dreams. You, you get that? It's just like, that, I, I thought that was totally normal in my dream. But actually, when I woke up, like, why did I think that was normal? That I was having that conversation with this person? or was it, you, do, do you have that? Throughout her fear, throughout her desperate searching, her lover has been all along alongside her, looking on at her lovingly. Her vulnerability is soothed. He's still loyally standing by her. And so relieved is she to find him remaining loyal to her, not deserting her, that she she holds on to him. Did you see that? And she just won't let go. She's just like, you're not not going anywhere again. I've got you. It's here, though, that her desire to never part from him again spills over into entering a dream world where that actually is the case. Her dream becomes a sexual fantasy where they actually are married. She didn't let go, verse 4, until I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. Now, I'm not going to go into all the Hebrew particulars here, but suffice to say that this means that in her dream, they went home and they had sex. And it's at this point that it looks like she wakes up and realises that it was all a dream and no doubt felt a greater emptiness than she did before. And that is always what happens when we fantasise about things, isn't it? It leaves you feeling empty. But did you note the kind of sudden change of tone in verse 5? It was like literally she's lying there and a cold bucket of water gets thrown on her face and she repeats the charge to anyone who would listen. She says, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Notice that it's not that we do not awaken love until she desires, until when she desires, but when love desires, i.e. the way that God designed love, that is in the context of lifelong marriage union. But brothers and sisters, can you, can you sense the profound relational turmoil that this woman is experiencing? Can you, can you relate to her in any way? Because, you know, we, we always knew that this sermon series, we were a little like as trepidation as we thought, okay, we're going we're gonna to do it. But, but, but we knew that it would bring up to the surface vulnerabilities, past hurts, abuses, guilt, and fears among us. As those made in the image of a relational God, interpersonal relationships are at the heart of our very nature and identity such that our greatest highs and our most scarring hurts are to be found in the context of intimate, interpersonal relationships and friendships. But friends, as hard as it can be to walk through these things... We can be encouraged that God understands our pain such that he has included in his word passages and real people like this God-honoring woman that we see today who wrestles day and night with the same profound longings as us, with the, the same fears of desertion, the same relational frustrations, the same unmet sexual desires and fantasies the same guilt of impurity, the same vulnerability in giving herself to another, the same sense of being unlovable. And God has included this in his word, not only so that we would know that we're not the only one, although that's great, but in order to meet us in our need with the gracious provision of a remedy, to point us to the the good news of unconditional forgiveness for our guilt and failure, to apply healing balm to our aching minds and stitches to bind up our broken hearts. He has included this to fill the deep chasm of unmet desires and longings and to whisper to us the words of a faithful lover, assuring us of their love. Brothers and sisters, we are this woman. We are this woman wrestling day and night looking for our beloved. We are this woman looking for relational fulfillment and sexual forgiveness. We are this woman searching everywhere for interpersonal peace and a love that will never leave us, never desert us, as we drift in our minds and in our dreams and in our actions into fantasies of where it might be found. As Christians, we are this woman, comforted by Christ's passionate pursuit and promise of undying love, excited by his offer of eternal lifelong union with him. But so long as we're still here, so long as our wedding day remains in the future, we are this woman so often haunted by the sense that he's deserted us in our pain. Fearful that he's finally decided to leave us after yet another moral failure. We're anxious that Christ is just like every other person who said that they will love us forever before leaving us high and dry. And yet, whilst we are this woman, Christ is this man. (laughs) The one who, verse 4, after desperate searching, is finally found. And not only that, who has seemingly been there all along throughout our desperate search. The relational fears and the heart deep longings. He's always been there. Christ has never left us. He is true to his word. He too is looking forward to the wedding day that our hearts crave. He's the loyal lover and faithful friend, the one of whom the Bible says he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And yet, the obvious question remains. Why does it so often feel like Jesus is far from us? Why do our prayers so often just feel like they hit the ceiling and bounce back. Why do we so often find ourselves asking the same question as the woman, have you seen the one my heart loves? Where's he gone? Well, remember that like the woman in that messy middle between the romantic relationship we've been seeing and the wedding day that we'll see next week, we are betrothed or engaged to Christ. So our wedding day is still to come. Like any intimate relationship, our engagement with Jesus is complex. There is complexity. There is a process of relational maturity for the Christian as we grow in our love and, well, love for him. Although he is always with us, Jesus will at times withdraw a sense of his presence to reveal to us how dark and how empty our life is without his light. Perhaps we've turned our back on him, ignoring him, um, or, or, or refusing to repent of sin that we know is wrong. And so Jesus, of course, feels distant. And if that is the case, the moment we confess our sins, as the Apostle John says, he is faithful and he forgives us, restoring us to the light of his presence. Oh, he's, he's been there all along. Sometimes there might not be an obvious reason. Indeed, that is the case here for the woman in our passage, isn't it? But either way, know this, that through the ups and downs, the highs and the lows of this vulnerable and complex period of betrothal to Christ, through all of our guilt and shame, through all of our hurt and pain, like the loyal lover of chapter 3, Jesus is always with you. He always has been with you and he always will be with you until the day of consummation when we'll be with him forever. Like the woman, hold on to him and do not let go of your relationship until the new creation. But as you do, know something even better than that. That he is the loyal lover and so it isn't really you holding on to him and let, not letting go. It is he who's holding on to you and it is he who will never let go. Let me let me we're nearly at the end. Let me let me let me just close with this. We want to be a church which acknowledges and is sensitive to the relational fears and hurts and insecurities and vulnerabilities that each of us experience, both in our relationship with Jesus, but also in our interpersonal relationship with one another. And as a church, we're aspiring, we, I don't know if we've got them up here, we haven't, we, but we're aspiring to, be, um, to, to become and to grow in being a safe refuge, a place where we imitate the gentle love of Jesus who nurtures us through this messy middle between our engagement and our wedding day. And so let me ask you this, as you see your gospel family in the week or as you rock up on a Sunday, are you aware that those around you are experiencing such relational vulnerabilities and uncertainties that we see here. If you're not alive to that, well, our chat will just easily descend into superficial banter or social platitudes. If, uh, and when we do that, it communicates that, do you know what, everything's okay here. It communicates, you're, you must be the only one who's experiencing this this relational turmoil, both with Christ and with one another. You're the only one who feels vulnerable. Friends, how are we to become the kind of church which is sensitive to these fraught and complex relational dynamics between one another as brothers and sisters in our marriages and in our relationship to Christ? Well, C.S. Lewis writes this famous quote, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrong and possibly broken. You see, we ourselves have to be open and honest about our own vulnerability, taking down the social and spiritual mask that we love to wear and which we hide behind. Perhaps when someone at church asks you how your week's been, why not offer something a little bit more than the British platitude of kind of, yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been good, thanks, it's been all right, yeah, yeah. Why do not tell them what you've been struggling with or what's been hard? When sharing prayer requests at Gospel Family, instead of praying for your neighbour's dog, why not share where you're actually struggling to trust the Lord Jesus Christ or where your heart is fighting sin? As Lewis says, we find this so hard because our vulnerable hearts are being made more vulnerable, more prone to being broken as we do that. But this is how we love one another. And when we do this, others will feel safe to share their own struggles, their own fears, their own vulnerabilities. They'll see in you the same heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is always there communicating his love, his forgiveness, and his care. And so how do we grow in this? How do we grow to be a safe refuge? Where do we find the power, the the bravery, if you like, to expose our already vulnerable hearts to more vulnerability and the probability of being heartbroken? Well, indeed, the only way to be able to be this vulnerable with others is to know this, and I'll close with this, that Christ has passionately pursued you unto death to provide for you the security of forgiveness and his enduring eternal and loving presence with him in heaven, that he is today where he always has been and always will be, the loyal lover of your soul who is holding you fast. The only way we will be vulnerable in our marriages and church relationships is if we accept the security that Christ offers us as he invites us, that he is beckoning us to uh, to, to him this morning with the words, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter's past. The rains are gone. The season of singing and salvation has come. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. So I pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we just don't think of you like this. We think of you as the saviour who can somehow put up with us, but we better not push your love too far. We are hesitant and we are vulnerable, we are scared, and that fear and that vulnerability just rules across our relationships and really diminishes our joy in the gospel. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would know that you are the passionate pursuer of our souls and the loyal lover who will never leave us, will never desert us. And Father, we pray that as a church that we would be so grounded in that security that we too would become vulnerable for one another so that it would be a safe refuge. A safe refuge which communicates your care and your love, your gentleness towards us, your beloved, your darling.
0: We pray that for your name's sake and our joy. Amen.